Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hlistova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Bridget Greenwood. Bridget is the founder of The Bigger Pie, an organization focused on supporting women in blockchain and emerging tech. As women represent less than 10% of those involved in this sector, they focus their efforts on supporting the incredibly talented and pioneering women in blockchain. Bridget is a firm believer of having more women involved with the design, development, deployment, and decommissioning of tech solutions. Bridget has worked with different sectors in the blockchain economy since 2017, both retail-facing and servicing institutional clients, gaining an insight into the marketplace, challenges, pitfalls, regulation, and breadth of projects and businesses in this rapidly evolving space. Now, in this podcast interview, we talk about the Bigger Pie community. We talk about blockchain, crypto, decentralized finance, and why this space is so hot right now. We talk about diversity and why it's so crucial as we build out new technology and solutions that shape our world. Bridget highlights some of the amazing projects that women are leading in this space from the Bigger Pie community. And we talk about the 200 Billion Club initiative, which Bridget co-founded with Dr. Amber Gidar. It's an accelerator program to help female-led startups match successfully with investors. I hope you enjoyed this podcast interview as much as I did. Please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Bridget, welcome to the Purse Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely honoured to be here. I adore your podcast and your email that comes out. Every Sunday lands in my inbox and it's the only email I make sure that I read. That's amazing. Thank you, Bridget. That's lovely to hear. Before we start, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically your journey to where you are today. And I'm very interested to hear why you decided to become an entrepreneur and start the Bigger Pie community. So my journey into entrepreneurship, I suppose, started when I moved to North Norfolk, which was in 1999. And I moved here to be here just for a couple of years before we moved back to where there was a larger population and more opportunities. But as we can see, this didn't work out quite the way we planned. And so when I moved to North Norfolk, I looked around for a job and uh, I had the opportunity to, having been able to walk to work where I lived previously, now be able to have a 50 mile commute for half the salary. So that led me into becoming a financial advisor because it was an opportunity that I had where I could control some of my earnings. Then I became an independent financial advisor and I absolutely adored that. But I was traveling large distances to see clients. But it's an amazing job. I mean, you just get to meet strangers and just find out all about their health, their wealth and their goals and make a plan to help them to succeed with those. Then when I had my son, the company I was working with decided that they only wanted really high writers in terms of business. And because I wasn't at the table to represent myself, it meant that the cost of me returning to work part-time, which had been the plan, was no longer viable. And it was one of a number of examples that by the very nature of being a woman, 
my career had been impacted negatively. So then I had to reimagine what I was doing and I became a single mum and there wasn't childcare and we still didn't have a population around us where I could go and work for someone. So I had to figure it out really. I saw financial social media happening in the States and I'd spent a lot of time learning about social media. This is sort of back in 2011 now. And social media was a very different beast than it is now. So I reached out to Amy McElwain, who had created the company in the States and said, look, this is my experience. This is my history. I would very much like to take what you're doing to the UK. And she said, yes. So we launched Financial Social Media 2012, I believe it was, in the UK. But after a year, it was obvious that the, the US market, how that was being served, the time difference and a number of other factors meant we weren't really delivering. It wasn't the same company, you know, delivering across both countries. So we agreed to part ways and I carried on with Financial Social Media UK. So I was able to remain in the financial services industry, but from a different angle. Then in 2016, 2017, I was introduced to Bitcoin, but I still couldn't figure out how to buy it. And a friend of mine said, look, send me some money, download this wallet, and I'll send you the BTC equivalent of the money that you've given me. And I was like, oh, wow, that was really easy, actually. And he said, well, would you like to join me? Because I'm looking at doing a startup company that helps people to do this. And, and this time, social media had changed dramatically. I'm not very comfortable at all with the way that it has changed our lives, with Cambridge Analytica scandals, with the data that comes in, with the knowing ourselves better than we do, and the business model being attached to our ad revenues. So I was really excited to be able to work with a team in a new industry where I believe that it had a huge amount of potential to fundamentally change the way that we interact with each other and do business and look at money. So that, that's a kind of my entrepreneurial journey a little bit to um, never really having worked for a company. And then when I was at the startup, which has now become BCB Group, in that first year, we had a look around and we could see that there weren't very many women in the space. And this is 2017, as I mentioned. But the women in the space are phenomenal, Jana, honestly. They have education, multiple degrees, speak multiple languages, career histories that anyone would be envious of. And then they're out there forging the way with nothing more than a vision of what changes they can bring to the world. So I very much wanted to make sure that we had more diversity in blockchain, in this emerging tech space. Because if we're going to build solutions for people across the world, then we need the people across the world who are these solutions being built for at the design, development and deployment table. And with half the population being female, obviously that means that we need to include the women into the decision deployment design and in the decommissioning phases. So that's why we started The Bigger Pie. That was in September 2019. To your point, Bridget, it is a group of phenomenal women. Can you tell us more about what it is, what you do, and, and what makes the community what it is today? So we are very blessed in the, as you say, phenomenal women that we have. Not necessarily by design, but it's been an invite-only community, largely because when we started out on WhatsApp and you can't put a WhatsApp link out without attracting porn bots. So it had to be an invite only link. 
But that seems to have meant that we've started off with phenomenal women and they've invited their peers in. We've worked really hard to make sure that the community is supportive. I mean, it's called the bigger pie and the bigger pie just means that the more people we have at the, at the table, you know, the more there is to offer. It's not a nil-sum game. All of the stats show you that when you do have more people of diversity, then your profits grow because you have different people with different experiences and different understanding being able to bring the thought process to the solutions. So this is a nascent sector. I saw it when I was working in the social media sector. We do not have best practices. We are still making it up and building it as we're going along. It's still an experiment, largely, a lot of this technology and how it's being deployed. So it's really important that we all work together to be able to learn as quickly as we can. And that's what the bigger pie does. Women come in, they have their shared experiences, they're learning together. You know, if you want to know about tokenomics, then put a question out in the community and then we'll have a call on it if it needs a bit more in-depth than just a few exchanges on, on messaging. A lot of women in the community have connected with each other privately. They've got work through this, education through this, the opportunity to speak at panels and at events. Because the purpose of the bigger pie is to make sure that we can have visibility and support the women who are already leading in this space to make sure that we can see their successes and attract more women into the space. We had the opportunity in this sector because it's so new. Most of the companies that are going to use this technology haven't been built yet. So rather than having a culture where we've already got certain groups who are in the decision-making positions, and, you know, we're, we're human beings, we, we like to connect with and share with people who we recognize, who look like us. So if you lay out these companies with diversity right from the start, where the senior roles and decision makers, you know, are diverse, then the company will continue to form like that rather than having to roll back cultures. So yes, so that's what we're looking to do is to make sure that these women are supported, they have visibility, and that we are attracting more women into the sector. Yeah, amazing. Well said. Now, you, you've touched upon blockchain, Bitcoin in the intro, but can you explain in a little bit more detail why focus on blockchain and crypto and decentralized finance? And also for listeners who are new to this space, because it is still so very new. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about what blockchain is and DeFi, decentralized finance, and why should we care? You know, why are you know, these incredible women in your community so active and so passionate about this? I think the starting point is recognizing what the existing structures we have, where they're failing, and who they're failing, and how they're failing. So when you have 1.7 billion people unbanked, as I understand it, that number is representing one person in the household. So actually, the number is larger than that. But when you have a system in the world where 1.7 billion people can't get access to basic finances, so trying to get paid, trying to make payments, trying to have any chance of having economic empowerment and economic freedom, just at the very basic levels, is not given to them, then you start to understand that really we have huge flaws in the current systems that we've got. When you look at something like the 2008 banking crisis, 
that was literally man-made, where we're relying on centralised governments, centralised organisations to make sure that they look after our best interests. And time and time again, it shows that that's a flawed system because we're humans and we are flawed. And whilst these organisations are organisations, they do have people who are running them. We have barriers where we're able to share information in a trusted manner. We have barriers where we're able to do business with people in a trusted manner. And technology has allowed us to find a solution to work past those barriers. And blockchain is the ability to have a ledger where the transactions can be trusted by a number of people. It doesn't need a central organization to be the keeper of the records so that we can trust them. And when you have that, the way that you can choose to operate is, I mentioned before that I had to reimagine my career, but we're really reimagining the way that people can interact. And it's hugely important, particularly when, I mean, I've been reading surveillance capitalism and the number of companies which is a very small amount of companies who have access to not only our data, but understanding our behavior and being able to nudge our behavior is becoming so concentrated that we definitely need solutions that allow us to step away from these problems. And that's what I believe that blockchain, crypto, decentralized finance, et cetera, are able to do. Why is this space so hot right now? We have so many problems to solve. <laughs> <laughs> and decentralized finance as well. Yes. So what we have, so if you're in the first world and you happen to be born with the right name and into the right family, et cetera, which we think the majority of us are, then you can get a bank account and you can make payments and you can buy what you want. So we just assume the system works and everything's great. But if you look further afield or if you were born with a different name or if you've moved somewhere or if you've got family across or other people across different borders that you want to start sending money to, then you can really see where the cracks are. And we just have a global world. The pandemic has shown us that, that our local communities are really important, but we are all connected across the globe. Then the pandemic has also I think, been a huge catalyst for digital transformation. And it's really shown that if you were vulnerable before the pandemic, my goodness me, you're definitely more vulnerable as a result of the pandemic. And so problems have been highlighted that this technology can solve. And it's not just about being able to solve real world problems, but of course, because of that, then there is the ability to be able to earn from it. So there's huge opportunity. and. In some respects, there's a lower barrier to entry. So the things that I'm excited about decentralized finance is in the regulated world, you are prevented from making certain investments because regulators deem that average Joe doesn't have enough sophistication to understand what they're doing. And you can look at the stats that show that, um, for example, in 2017, a report came out in 2018 suggesting that the initial coin offerings, the ICOs, which were ways that crypto businesses raised funds to be able to launch, 78% of those were scams. So 
clearly there is the need for some sort of ability to make sure that investors have protection, investors know what they're doing. But in the traditional financial sector, I think a lot of that has gone a bit too far. So you've got no opportunity to be able to get in early where the most profits can be made in companies because of regulations, or you can't access a bank account because of regulations. When you talk about sort of KYC, you know your client, you know your customer, it's called on-ramping and off-ramping. But basically, when you take the money that everyone's used to, the cash in the bank, and then you want to put it into the crypto or the decentralized finance system, if you want to do it through a regulated entity, then you have to prove that you are who you are. But there are ways that you can get into that system without having to prove who you are. So one is, okay, well, what does that mean for bad actors? And that's a very valid point. But on the other side of it is, what does that mean for all the other people who have been excluded who now have opportunity to start entering into a global world where they have access to financial products? So I think with the explosion of digital solutions that the pandemic has led, that's combining all these other issues, this is why it's such a hot topic right now. But it's not going away. It's definitely not going away. And I really like the point you made there, Bridget. Essentially, it's decentralizing and it's democratizing investing, isn't it? So we're opening up the world of opportunity. There are so many opportunities. It shouldn't be concentrated in the hands of just a few. Yes. You can count the people who have half of the global money, you know, on two hands, I think. Yeah. We have a system that's not working. Yeah. Now, I'd like to talk about diversity in blockchain, crypto and DeFi. Can you share any stats in the industry? So what is the diversity? What's been your experience as well around the sort of diversity piece and how do we change it so we do see the balance across the board? So I look through everything through a gendered lens. That's my lived experience. And if we can be inclusive of gender in all its shapes and forms, you know, half the population are representing pretty much all of the diversity groups that we have, then that's how I choose to look at it. So when I'm talking to you about statistics and diversity, I'm looking at through the gendered lens just so that we understand that. In 2017, Forbes shared in an article that only 5 to 7% of all cryptocurrency users are women. The figures have changed in our favor, so I'm very pleased about that. So in 2019, there was a report by CoinDance that showed that 5% of all people engaged and actively participating in the Bitcoin community were female, just 5%. But the latest statistics are showing that's 14 0.23%. So more women are being attracted into the space, but 14.23% is still not nearly enough. Grayscale did a report in 2019 that suggested that 43% of investors into cryptocurrency are women. So these figures are looking a little bit better. And then recently, the BDC Consulting Company surveyed 441 women from 28 countries to find out what they were doing and why they were interested in the crypto sphere. And every third woman admits that the main event for pushing them to interact with cryptocurrencies was the same as mine. It was through word of mouth, through their personal networks. We 
know that Bitcoin and the white paper was emailed out through the cyberpunk community. And for whatever reason, that community was largely male. So right from the off, women haven't been given the opportunity to know about this technology and be part of this technology. So we are working a little bit behind, but we are seeing improvements where women are adopting cryptocurrencies coming into this industry at a faster rate than men are. So I'm very excited about that, but we still have a long way to go. And what's really, really important is that quite often I'm sitting on panels and I'm having the opportunity to talk with these amazing women and these amazing people who are really interested and focused on the importance of diversity. But a question is always asked, what do you ask young women coming in? And what we need to do is we need to attract women in senior roles to come into the space and use their transferable skills because we need to have these decision makers at senior levels right from the start. Otherwise, we'll end up where we are in other industries and in the tech sector, women leave after 10 years because they just don't find the flexibility and working environments and the conditions conducive enough to stay. And I really don't want to see that happening in the sector. Well said, Bridget. As an example, you look at the retail industry, which likes to talk about the fact that the majority of their workforce is female. But of course, the majority of their workforce are in the lower ranks of the industry, not in the decision-making roles. And as we know, it's all about having gender balance at the decision-making level. So the executive C-suite and on the board. Yes, indeed. It was interesting. I was sat next to a gentleman on the train pre-pandemic and we got talking and he was responsible for CSR for a multinational American company that we all heard of. And he was telling me with such great enthusiasm of all the different ways that they were disrupting the way that supply chains work, the way that business is done, to make sure when it comes to CSR, they are really achieving tangible goals. And I googled the company when it comes to gender pay gap, and they were horrendous. And I had spoken to the gentleman on the phone. I said, look, I find what you're doing really interesting. Do you think it'd be all right if I could have a follow-up conversation with you? Yeah, no problem at all. So we did that. And I said, can you explain to me why, yes, you do have a huge amount of women who are employed, but their pay is hugely below you know, what the men are being paid. And the answer from this person, who was a white male, looked in about in his 50s, was, well, you can't change nature women give birth. So the roles that they're doing are the roles that allow them to, you know, be mothers. And I was very confused by that because, yes, I know that women give birth, but we have two parents. And once a child is out of the womb, you know, two people are parent, and that's nothing to do with nature. So there's a long way to go in terms of people who actually think that they're doing a positive impact to diversity and gender inclusion. And they're so off the mark. Yeah. So even if you do think that you're a man who's got gender diversity and inclusion down, unless it's a lived experience, and I can only talk through a gendered lens because I don't have lived experience of anything else, then you need to get the people with lived experience at the table. You need that minimum threshold. There is that magic number, isn't there, of 30, 33% of women at that level. Yeah decision-making and, and impact and their perspectives. Yes, because you might have access to a woman 
But if she's the only woman in the room, the statistics show that she's largely not listened to. Mm. So her voice, even though it's there, is much harder to be heard than if you have more than one woman sat at the table. Yeah, absolutely. Often referred to as the token woman, if you have just the one, which I don't like as a term, but um, (laughs) really important points there, Bridget. Now, I'd love to talk about some of the amazing projects in the industry right now and some of the incredible women leading in this space and perhaps from the Bigger Pie community as well. So can you share with us some projects that you're really excited about that are being led by women right now? I can, with the proviso that there are so many other projects that I'm also excited by. And so being a mention is more to do with recency of my memory rather than <laughs> apologies to the um, women that, that, that aren't being mentioned right now. Um, first off, I am preparing for a panel that I'm moderating this afternoon. And that panel is in the traditional institutional financial sector and how they can come across into the crypto and the decentralized finance space. So naturally, my first thought this morning when I was going um, thinking about the women that I would want to represent is Amber Gadar, Dr. Amber Gadar, who's the co-founder of Alliance Block. And Alliance Block is the blockchain that started up building the framework for the world's first globally compliant capital market by bridging centralized finance and definance. It was only formed in 2018, but has constantly ranked in the best early stage fintechs in Europe. And I think that she's in the top four blockchain businesses led by a woman. Amazing. So she is a co-founder there. So in terms of helping the traditional institutional sector to get into crypto and DeFi space, then Alliance Block and led by Amber Goodwill is one of the ones that I'm excited by. We've also got Jean-Vierve Levey. She's the CEO of AgriLedger. And I really enjoy what Jean-Vierve does with AgriLedger because she's really making sure that she can help smallholder farmers have a fairer share of the market and a fairer price. So the interesting thing about blockchain for me and anyone who's listening, if if the technology behind it scares you, please come in in terms of understanding what problems it's solving around the world and that will motivate you to get past any challenges. For example, did you know that most of the farmers around the globe go to bed hungry? I find that absolutely incredible that you're a farmer, that you're growing crops to feed the world, and yet you get to go to bed and your family get to bed to bed hungry. And again, it's because we've got systems that are broken. So what Jean-Bierre helps smallholder farmers to do is to get onto the supply chain for a supermarket, which they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And by combining, you know, all the smallholder farms so that they can meet the minimum criteria for these orders. And then in this process, make sure that they get a fairer wage for the product that they're doing. And so there are different participants along the supply chain who all have pre-agreed conditions that they need to meet. And if they're not met, then the penalties are already in place and pre-approved. And this way, when the product starts with the farmer, by the time it gets to the supermarket, you can make sure that the actors who are responsible for their part get rewarded for their part. And this allows the farmers to have a a better living wage. So I'm really excited by that project. Then you've got Laura Giovanni. So she's the founder of TQ, 
and who's recently, congratulations Laura, uh, won an Impact Shaker Award. What she does is she looks at the trust mechanisms that you can have to be able to identify, not exactly identify who you are, but the certificates that you have. So if we look forward to the future, we have a lot of people who will continue to be transient, especially with the impact that climate change will have. People will need to continuously move throughout their lives for jobs, for work, for whatever those means might be. And as we move around, how do people trust who we are and what our experiences have been? And so this is the very problem that Laura is looking at being able to address. So we have a much more a modern, inclusive and fair society because we can trust who people say they are by using this technology to be able to record it. So I think that's really interesting. Victoria Thompson is a co-founder at Aurora. And Aurora are looking at, which I've mentioned a few times before, She's an IP and technical lawyer. She's worked in the banking sector and fintech sector for a number of years. So she's worked on the inside of the existing systems that we have. And she can see, she understands how they work and where they're flawed and why they're flawed. A part of why they're so flawed in terms of being able to address the needs of what we need moving forward is the technology that they've implemented over the years is a legacy system that keeps them from being able to be more innovative moving forward. Somebody said to me, they've even got systems where they're so old, they don't know what they do, but they can't turn them off because they don't know what they do. And so it might be doing something crucial. When you're looking at decentralized finance and blockchains, et cetera, this is completely new technology, completely new stacks. It's, it's completely revolutionizing what we've been doing. So large banks will have difficulty in being able to make that transition even if they've got all the will just on the technology sector. So Victoria is coming in and they're looking at Aurora. They're looking to serve the 1.7 billion people who are currently unbanked. They're looking at being human-centric and human-centered in everything that they're doing and to be able to provide digitally-enabled banking services to the underserved global SMEs as well as individuals. So I'm really excited about what they're doing and how they're approaching everything from that aspect. And then we've got Sophie Blackstead, uh, who's the CEO of Hive Online. And again, she's looking at a distributed community finance platform, particularly focused on African regions and women in those sectors. So a lot of the women, and, and it's really interesting when you read about just how much difference women in communities bring to the communities when they have some ability to have financial independence or financial empowerment, the whole community improves and benefits as a result of it. Also, if you look at why do we need women for climate change and you look at farming. So if you think about farming in terms of individuals across non-developed countries, there's a huge amount of everything that's done is through farming and a lot of it's done through women. And given the same tools and the same resources, women will be able to yield more than men do. So that's hugely important in terms of making sure that we can continue to feed our growing population with the resources that we have. But they don't have access to financial instruments. They have something called Village Savings VSLAs. And what Sophie is doing is she's managing to digitize this to be able to more effectively allow these communities access to financial products. What you've got at the moment is... The communities bring together and pull together their earnings to be able to 
save and lend to each other. But there's no money coming in from outside external communities, so they're limited to the pot they have. If they can get access to more money coming in, then they're able to invest more into their businesses, into the land or whatever it is that they're doing and be able to see those rewards. So she's tackling that issue. But not only is she tackling that issue, she's tackling it with communities that are illiterate and have poor phone connectivity. So I know a lot of people might think, well, you know, this technology is all very fine, but I had someone on the webinar yesterday said, my gardener doesn't even have a mobile phone. How am I supposed to pay them in crypto? But people like Sophie are looking at countries where there is literacy issues, connectivity issues, and they're still finding a way to allow this technology to empower people's lives. Mm. So those are just some of the areas. There's a lot that's happening in health as well. There are so many problems that we need to solve, yes. uh, especially in the developing world. And it's so exciting that women are leading the charge there and using this technology. And I can see how in the emerging world we're jumping straight to blockchain because everything else doesn't work. So they're actually adopting this technology, using it to build an entirely new system, which is awesome. Now, I'd love to shift gears because you have recently launched the 200 Billion Club, and I'm very interested to hear more about it. So what is it? And why did you set it up? Why do you think we need the 200 Billion Club? The 200 Billion Club is named from the Alice Rose report that looked into female entrepreneurship and said that if we could invest in female entrepreneurship in the same way as we do others, then we could add 200 billion to the GDP of just the UK alone. The reason that I'm interested in it, we need to support the women who are leading these amazing companies and projects, and they need funding. And stats show that across the globe, women get less than 3% of all VC funding, despite the fact that women-led startups will produce greater returns. So if we're going to be able to successfully make sure that we have diversity across this sector and other sectors, we need to make sure that the women who have these incredible ideas, who are striving out on their own, are getting funded. And that's what the 200 Billion Club is about. As I said to you, if you're vulnerable going into the pandemic, then, you know, throughout the pandemic, that is exaggerated. And that's the same with the statistics of investing into women-led startups. Those numbers have gone down because VCs decided that they would double down on the investments that they already had, which meant that anyone who was not already in the portfolio, and that largely includes diverse founders, weren't receiving the funding. So we want to address that. There are two huge areas where the current funding model falls down with biases towards women. And that is one, it's all about the network. So you're 13 times more likely to receive investment if you're given a warm introduction to the investor. And most investors and decision makers are men. And so the networks lay in the hands of men largely. Women just don't have the same networks. So we're looking to address that by bringing investors into the 200 billion club. And the second one is when you're pitching in the pitching process. There's quite a lot of data out there that shows that if there's no pitching process, that those funds who choose to invest in startups based on the data that they're shown rather than meeting the founders have a much more diverse 
mix in their portfolio. But most investors still prefer and insist on having a pitching process where they can meet the founders. They want to know who they're working with. And it's in that process that we see biases come out. So much of these are subconscious biases. So some people say, oh, well, you've been made aware of a subconscious bias. It shouldn't be subconscious anymore, but that's not how a subconscious works. So invariably, the studies show that women are asked what we call preventative questions, whereas men are asked promotional questions. So that means a woman is asked to justify how she'll meet her targets. And then a man is asked what he'll do when there's so much success is brought in. How will he cope with the extra growth? But all the studies show across the board that women are judged on their experiences and men are judged on their potential. So this is just, as I see it, an extension of those balances that we carry out through the world. So the 200 Billion Club is looking to address these two. So we are taking women through a 12-week program. So we're taking a business that is already investable because in 12 weeks, there's only so much we can do. But in those 12 weeks, we're taking the startups, we're taking the female-led startups and making sure that they have everything that they need for the investor in terms of the presentation, in terms of what's in the pitch deck, in terms of the numbers, in terms of the due diligence they need to do, in terms of differentiation, in terms of whatever numbers and go-to market strategies they need, that they understand how to recognize a preventative question that they go through and are trained on dealing with difficult questions and being made to feel uncomfortable and still standing in their ground and being able to present in a really powerful way so that we get more successful investment at the end of the 12-week process. And the great news is the study that showed that women asked preventative questions and men are asked promotional questions also turned around and said, right, when's if men are asked preventative questions? If men are asked preventative questions, they get the same outcome. They get much less chance of being funded. And if women answer a preventative question in a promotional way, that greatly increases their ability to get funding. So that's what we're looking to address with the 200 Billion Club. Really important work. I think it's so important as a female founder, if you're given training and support, we need to be addressing the gender bias. You know, It's not a level playing field. And as you said, just on a very basic level, knowing as a female founder that you're likely to be asked preventative questions more so than promotion questions you can get ready for that and you can always answer with a promotion answer <laughs> uh, yes exactly turn it around to a promotional answer and there's going to be lots of support in there we've got experienced mentors who have been through the process and can share their expertise share their networks and attracting investors who understand and are looking for pre-qualified pre-vetted deal flow for female-led startups wonderful and what do you hope to achieve ultimately with this initiative? An extra 200 billion onto the GDP for the UK. Excellent. All right. Now, just to wrap up, and Bridget, you've shared so much with us today. We covered quite a lot. The world of blockchain, DeFi, crypto, all very exciting. I think it's so important that women, especially women who don't have a technical background are not put off by that and engage as, as much as they can. And obviously, people can reach out to you, Bridget, for women who want to learn a lot more and perhaps have been hesitant about engaging. What would you suggest to those women? How can they become much more active in this space? I would welcome you to join women-led communities. We have the bigger pie and I'll send you the details so people can join through the links there. I'll also share with you a number of other women in blockchain communities because they have different angles 
some people are interested in crypto and crypto trading. Other people are interested in enterprise blockchain. Other people are interested in people in their local communities. Obviously, there's language issues. So find a community, join many communities, because learning through just listening to conversations that happen is one thing. You don't know what you don't know, right? So emerging yourself in a community of people who have different experiences will alert you to things that you didn't know about. And if they're like the bigger pie, which I'm sure many of them are, you can ask a question. People understand that this sector is new and they will point you to resources. They will answer your questions. I really, really want to implore anyone who is interested in anything we've had to say who does have a senior role and would be interested in transitioning across. This is a burgeoning sector. We have more demand than we have supply. And get involved. So we're doing various things and consultancy through the bigger pie. We've got all the expertise from people across different sectors, from legal, from developers, from marketing, the financial business development, you name it. And companies need this, but companies don't always need, well, one, trying to find one person who's got all the expertise that you need is difficult, if not impossible. And two, sometimes you need to turn on the power of the human capital that you have and then turn it off again. So rather than employing people, you can come to the bigger pie like us. This community-led approach that we have to consultancy means that if, for example, and there's a huge need for senior marketing people into the space, if you've got that experience elsewhere, you can come into the community, you can let us know. And then when we have a project that we're working on, you can get exposure to that so that you can upscale and transfer the skills that you have and then upscale within the industry as, as quickly as possible so that we can get you then out into the marketplace, into the senior role. So that's another thing that, that I would definitely recommend people do. And we have a resources page. We have a number of events. So everything that I'm mentioning, you can find on our website, which is the bigger pie. Io, and that points to third-party resources as well. Do you have any books, blogs, in addition to your resource page, any learning materials that you would suggest for people who are new and want to learn more? There's so much out there. Everyone talks about going down the rabbit hole. But as I say, it's, it's on the resource page. There's Crypto Canal, which is done by Eleanor Blanc. She's brilliant. I absolutely love her. She talks about where you spend your money and, and earning cryptocurrency is a political statement. So there are lots of educators within the bigger pie and their resources are on there. I always, without fail, mention Andreas Antonopoulos. He is the person who really just got me completely sold on what Bitcoin was looking to do, why blockchain technology, particularly through Bitcoin, is revolutionary because of this peer-to-peer, -peer, borderless, permissionless ability that it has for us to interact and therefore to recognize why that's revolutionary and why somebody else is saying our business is blockchain, but they're not using any of those features, isn't revolutionary. And he can drill down to the most technical details. He's literally written a book on Bitcoin and Ethereum. But also for someone like myself, who isn't an engineer, share the stories and the use cases and the need in a way that anyone can understand. Wonderful. Bridget, thank you for sharing so much. It's a super exciting space. Thank you for inviting me. Again, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the newsletter that comes in. Your work is brilliant. Thank you, Bridget. I really appreciate that. If listeners want to connect with you specifically, you've mentioned the bigger pie, but if they want to reach out to you, how can they find you? How can they do that? I guess the easiest way is on LinkedIn. 
Bridget Greenwood on LinkedIn, Bridget at thebiggerby.io if you want to drop me an email. And is it all right if I share out with you the link to our community for others that you might be able to post? Absolutely. If you're a woman, but also if you're a man who's listened to this and think, yes, we want to be able to work with you to be able to access more talent, to be able to support what's going on, please do reach out. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.